anyway, so I've been to a number of universities and I've been a student worker and I'm getting, uh, you know, as I say, it's about 15 years since I've been a student myself, but I, I was young once, that's the I was young once bit of the speech. Um, so... I thought a really good place to start when you're thinking about, um, I've been asked to sort of talk about being a Christian in the university environment and particularly sort of that uh, area of integration of Christianity with studies, uh, although I'd be a little bit broader than that. A really good place to go to is the beginning of the book of Daniel, where uh, Daniel and a couple of his mates after Nebuchadnezzar from the Babylonians uh, conquer uh, Israel and Judah and uh, hive off. Uh, various young men and basically plug them into a university system to sort of retrain them into the Babylonian way of life, the Babylonian way of thinking and uh, what happens uh, to them. So I'd like to go through, uh, I shall read you a story, don't worry, you don't have to read around the circle and all that, I shall read it for you. Um, This is just uh, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Asphanaz, it may or may not be pronounced like that, but that's how I'm pronouncing it, uh, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of his royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years Three years for a BA, even back then. And so at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. So his point is to give them a different identity by giving them other names. And these other names that he gives him reflect uh, the names of Babylonian gods rather than the names that they had that reflected about Israel's God. Uh, so Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But, it's always important when you find a but in scripture, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. Part of the issue here is probably the different dietary laws that the Babylonians would have had versus the Old Testament dietary laws. But part of it also is the importance of sort of sharing table fellowship. Uh, if you accept the food off someone's table, um, it you know it would be very frowned upon not to give a, a allegiance and alliance uh, to them. Um, so by being asked to take the, the food from the, the conquering king's table he would be saying, yes, I give allegiance and alliance to you. Uh, and probably through that in the way they thought also too, and to the fact that your gods are better than God because you've conquered us. And you're saying, no, I'm not, not going to say that. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now, God allowed Daniel to receive favour and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, 
I'm afraid of my lord the king. He's appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, he'd endanger my head with the king. So it's like, it's more than my job's worth, mate. More than that's probably more than my life's work, work is, is worth. But then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel. So he, okay, I'm going to ask that other guy. Hananiah, Michelle, and Isaiah. So the, the guard placed over them, please test your servants for ten days, he says. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he sort of have a careful negotiation. Oh, well, let's just try this out for a bit and then, you know, you can judge. We're not, we're not being rebellious. You can see that we're not being, uh, you know, rebellious and so on, but uh, just, just try it out. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who'd been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams, which becomes, of course, particularly important later on in the book. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, here we have a typical sort of uh, university experience, really. He's taken away from his home culture, sent far away. Um, People try and impose on him a different um, sort of understanding of the world even to the point of changing his name in a way that reflects, you know, think differently about whose gods are more important. Um, uh, Change your, have an opportunity to sort of morph your identity uh, away from what it was in a way that reflects the prevailing culture around you rather than the culture of where you've you've come from, uh, spiritually speaking. It takes three years. is to learn um, all of the, the literature... Uh, and the the wisdom of the Babylonians, uh, their uh, astronomy slash astrology, which would have all been the same thing back then. Um, and Daniel makes, makes this important point of of making a stand over the over the table fellowship and kind of saying, "I'm actually, it's not that I'm going to be rebellious towards the king. You know, I'm." Uh, I'm going to respect the system, I'm going to learn from the system. Um, Indeed, I'm going to learn so well from this system that I'm going to do better at it than all the natives (laughs) in this system. But I'm going to draw a line in the sand that says, but I'm doing this in a spirit of respect for my God and where I've come from, spiritually speaking. And I'm not going to just blindly conform to what's around me um if we could turn to romans chapter 12 just verses 1 and 2 
we'll find the, uh, the New Testament parallel. Um, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the, patterns, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Marvellous. Thank you. So you can see how Daniel, in, in his situation, was very much living out this verse from hundreds of years uh, later um, about what is the spiritual worship that we should be giving to God, and in this case, in, in the light of Christ. But that, that verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, or to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It starts off by saying, present your whole bodies, present, your, present yourself to God. And then it moves on to a particular emphasis on being transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that's where transformation begins. So that you may discern. That's, that sounds like it's more about wisdom than simply knowing stuff. So you may discern what's the will of God, what is good, by definition. The will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. Uh, the will of God. But that transformation begins in the mind. So, I have a few, uh, hopefully memorable, tools or pointers, and we can discuss... A little bit. It would be actually quite uh, interesting for me just to go round the circle and find out what subjects uh, are being studied, are represented by us as we're in this room, what we're studying, what years we're in, that kind of kind of info. Okay. Uh, I'm studying geophysics, second year. Okay. I'm second year at Lutness. I'm third year medic. Third year psychologist. Uh-huh. Second year at Lutness. Right. I'm an electrician. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Study at the University of Life. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> second year engineer. Mm-hmm. I'm a second year audiology student. Mm-hmm. Second year physio. Mm-hmm. Graduate. <coughs> Graduate. Right. Okay. So, so, so uh, quite a lot of, um, <coughs> in a sense, sciencey backgrounds, whether we're applying that in terms of medical knowledge to, to people or engineering or audiology was it about yeah so um, um, there was uh, physics geophysics geophysics specifically Um, so more on the sciencey side than the humanities side Um, so here I can big up the importance of philosophies in the humanities because all subjects have a a philosophy that goes with them and it's important important to to think about that one of the main themes in, in those passages was, was spirituality, and I've done quite a lot of thinking about spirituality. Uh, it's one of my kind of research projects uh, at the moment, uh, partly because um, I got in through the, the school's work that I do, and there are sort of government guidelines about the need for schools to include spirituality across the whole curriculum of what they do. And then you say, okay, we have to include spirituality in the school curriculum across every, every subject. You know, what, so, so what is that? 
and you go to the government line, guidelines to find out what that is, and you just basically get a load of self-contradictory waffle um, that would just annoy everybody. There's no consistent, talking about consistent definitions over, over dinner, um, definition of things. So here's a, at least a, a, a consistent definition of a spirituality. A spirituality, it's about relationships. It's about your relationship to everything through the integration of, and here I'm showing my Baptist tradition of alliterating with three letters, so here we go, your head, your heart, and your hands. How you think about things, what attitude you take towards what you think about things, and how that then results in you doing things as a consequence. Um, So relating to everything through the integration of your head and your heart and your hands um, is a spirituality. And I would say that everyone um, really has a spirituality. Richard Dawkins has a spirituality. It's just a very different spirituality than yours or mine. Um, (coughs) Buddhists have a spirituality, but again, it's different from yours or mine or Richard Dawkins. There will be overlaps, but there will be differences uh, between them as well. Uh, When you're thinking in terms of... um, your head, your, how you think about reality, your, your world view, the important value to bear in mind there is, is truth. You want to think about the world in a way that's, that's true. Um, if you're thinking about the attitudes of your heart, just an appropriate category to keep in mind there is, is beauty. Um, is that a, uh, a beautiful character that you are forming? as you live that particular spirituality and so on. And if you think about actions, of course, you think about, about goodness. Um, so the, the classic, what's called the classic triad uh, from Greek philosophy, truth, goodness and beauty, uh, seemed to integrate with that very well. And you saw there in what Paul was saying, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can, you can test, I know whether it's true or not, test and approve affirm in your heart what God's good will is. So it's your head and your heart and what he wants you to do. And as soon as you have that sort of schema in mind, you see it popping up all over the place um, in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind and heart and strength. Um, Peter's sermon at Pentecost um, after the Holy Spirit has come down and he gets an opportunity to talk to the crowds in Jerusalem. And when they heard this, the preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, they were cut to the heart and said to Jesus, said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do in response uh, to that? Uh, it's such a significant piece of news that you don't just sort of go, oh, tick, that's interesting. Yes, I shall file that away for next pub quiz night. Um, nor do you simply hear that and have a sort of emotional reaction to it and go oh that's really sad that they killed Jesus you know how unfair oh dear right on with the shopping you know Um, (laughs) it's significant enough of a truth that you should have an emotional and effective response to it that actually you're doing something about it brothers what should we do well you know be baptised in the name of Christ and be saved um so you find that popping up all the way uh, through uh, scripture, partly because I think that's just 
a good definition that reflects the way we are as creatures built in God's image. Um, and then on the other hand of this equation, so we have, we have our spirituality and what the Bible says about that, how we think about our spirituality. And the other side of the equation, we have being at, at university. And what, what is university all about? The fact that the universities, of course, originally in, in Europe were Christian foundational institutions. Um, they were institutions that, that, that saw a, a uh, again, a sort of coherence and an integrity to the subject of finding out truth about everything in the world that found its meeting point in, in God, in theology, as the queen of the sciences, the queen of subjects of knowing things. Um, and science just meant knowing in Latin, scientia. Um, and some say, well, we've, we've, we've lost that a little bit in the secular university because there is no integration of all knowledge into one sort of world view. We just have a sort of disparate um, band of, of differing, competing views. So, you know, you find the, the very disparate uh, views between your, um, you know, probably the, the sort of very secular naturalist, just to be sort of... Um, uh, paint with a broad brushstroke to the sort of secular naturalistic worldview of your geophysics teaching department, probably quite different from what could well be the very postmodern uh, views about things of the English literature department in a particular university. Uh, uh, and uh, never the, the twain uh, shall meet. But a, a university. A, in terms of our experience of, of going there, is, is a place of, of maturing spirituality. We mature uh, into uh, the direction of the adults that we're going to become through that experience. Um, we're not just, again, learning a bunch of head knowledge. Um, you can think of university in terms of all of those three areas of head and heart and hands and the way that it, it moulds us and in which we let it, we integrate with that that it moulds us as we go through it. Um, in terms of all sorts of pressures to you know, think and feel and act in certain ways according to certain subcultures that we may or may not decide to get ourselves uh, involved with, um, all the way through from you know, the, uh, the extracurricular activities we take part in to the way that our, our department happens to think about a particular subject. Uh, area um, so there can be tension in all of those three kind of different areas of our of ourselves and of course the in terms of academics the focus will be on worldview but there is the, those other areas as well um, but to focus on the sort of academic side of it um, as I say there are every subject has a bunch of of philosophical assumptions that guide how people think about about the area um, and um, people have either thought or not thought about those philosophical assumptions uh, it's better to at least have thought about them than, than to not have thought about them but very often you will find of course that subjects are taught without any sort of explicit delving into thinking about, well, why are we doing the subject in this way? Why do we make certain assumptions about what counts as um, good clinical practice or a proper scientific explanation for something? What gets to count as 
um, as science, or what do we dismiss as um, just so you know? Well, that's just an interesting sociological, psychological fact about you and your subculture. But don't bring don't bring that into your essays. You know, how do we make those kind of lines of demarcation? Um, and I think unquestionably that the biggest issue here, and it'd be interesting to hear from you how you feel if you you kind of come up against this. Um, the majority worldview in the West, at least in academia, is a, is a naturalistic, materialistic worldview. Although, as I say, you're going to find exceptions to that. Of course, there are people who don't hold that worldview in academia, and of course, there are the postmodernists, and there are, the, you know, the Christians and Muslim and Jewish pre-modernists, as I like to say. Um, but there's this domination of a materialistic, naturalistic worldview. Um, and that can shape how people look look at things. And even up to then, particularly in the in the sciences, you'll hear, or in history, um, you'll hear talk about um, what's called methodological naturalism. Um, so that's saying um, we're not claiming, you know, that that there isn't a god or that materialism is true. But what we're saying is you should do your subject. As if there were no God and materialism is true. Okay. So we're, so we're, not, we're not saying you have to abandon belief in God. We're just saying you have to forget that you believe in him when you do the subject. Because otherwise you're not doing proper science or we're not doing proper history. Because we just define you know, proper science or history or medicine or whatever as... You know, understanding things and explaining things and doing things in a way that's consistent, at least, with materialism being true. Um, now, interestingly, um, that is a way of approaching subjects that, although it's held dominance for maybe uh, 50, 100, 150 years, uh, is increasingly being questioned by atheist thinkers today. So particularly within the philosophy of science area, uh, for example, there are a number of prominent atheist philosophers of science who now say, actually, there's something a bit sort of worrying about that whole approach of defining how we think about the world, what counts as a proper scientific explanation or whatever, in terms of it's got to be at least consistent with a materialist worldview. Um, because that means, for example, that science is no longer a search for the truth about reality. And surely if there's one thing science ought to be, it's a search for what's true about reality. Um, but if you define it in a methodologically naturalistic way, what you're saying is um, science is the search for the best answer and understanding and explanation of things that's consistent with the assumption that materialism is the correct worldview. Well, OK, if you want to play an interesting party game, you know, that might be an interesting intellectual puzzle to take on. Um, but... It's not at all the same as taking on the challenge of working out what's true about the world. 
full stop, you know. Okay, if, of course, if materialism is the true worldview, then there, there's not going to be a problem, because that'll, that'll never derail you, um, that way of approaching things. But that's, that doesn't seem to be a very sort of intellectually open way of inquiring about things, to have sort of made your mind up in advance of looking at the facts. Uh, sort of, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with the evidence or the data. Um, Maybe we should just sort of take an open-minded approach and say, well, let's go and look at the data and see what we might think the best explanation of things is. You know, do it that way around. Uh, so that's an interesting sort of recent development uh, in that area. Um, when I think of forensic science, you know, no one's doing forensic science here. Um, but there's an area, and you might say, well, it's, it's even called a science, but we, we we consistently ask questions in forensic science, like, you know, did 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 he jump or was he pushed? Did that dagger end up between his shoulder blades by accident or by design? Yeah. Um, now, um, if you took a very hard line naturalistic view, you might say, well, oh gosh, we've got to approach this in a naturalistic manner, so we, we, mustn't, we mustn't even mention intelligence when we explain things. Because that's not a proper scientific explanation if you invoke intelligence. Well, well, then there are going to be no murders. Okay, and that 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 seems so. That seems to derail the whole project. On the other hand, you could say, okay, okay, we can mention intelligence, but we must never we must never mention any intelligence that's that's not itself materialistically explainable. That is a genuinely supernatural reality. Well, okay, on the one hand, we can now say, okay, the, you know, he was pushed, the daggers in between his shoulder blades, by design, it was a murder. And maybe then we can go down the pub and have an argument about whether the mind of the murderer is the same thing as their brain or not. You know, are we materialists about what people are? Or do we think there's more to a person than just the, the gooey neurons and electricity and chemical reactions between their ears um, but at least we're then doing forensic science in a way that doesn't uh, predispose us to have already made our minds up in advance of looking at the evidence that there are no murders <laughs> that intelligence is never involved in what we see in the world um, but then couldn't you take the same approach in cosmology or history, or, or, or whatever. I say, well, no, no, because then it would be very clear that it would have to be a supernatural intelligence that you were talking about. Well, not necessarily that clear. But again, well, okay, so I'm not going to label it supernaturalistic, maybe, but, you know, intelligence is intelligence, and then we can go down the pub afterwards and talk about what's the nature of that intelligence. But, you know, we don't have to resolve the debate in philosophy between mind-body dualism and materialism in order to see that the best approach to doing forensic science is to be open to following the evidence wherever it leads rather than saying we must never mention intelligence when we do it. And the interesting thing is an increasing number of, of atheist philosophers of science are now sort of saying the same thing about science. Let's not predetermine the results by our worldview assumptions, let's actually let an exploration of what we discover about the world 
then have a sort of a competition about whose worldview explains that best. And that's the sort of open, inquiring, open-minded way of going about it. Um, so that's a, an interesting point about, I think, one of the most sort of significant things that you can find putting a, a tension between coming into a subject as, as someone who has a supernatural worldview and being told to sort of leave that worldview at the at the university door. Even when you're told, well, it's not that we're saying you're wrong, we're just sort of saying, well, you just keep that private. <laughs> that actually there's, a, there's a, a, an academic legitimacy uh, in saying, well, no, I don't necessarily have to keep that private. It might be relevant. And if I think it's relevant, I'm going to argue for it. If it's relevant to argue for it. I mean, I'll argue for it on the basis of shared criteria of rationality i'm not going to i'm not going to go into the lab and say well it says here in genesis 3 verse whatever you know therefore because you know that kind of argument from authority is not going to cut ice with anybody who doesn't share your understanding of that authority source um we are uh, not going to do ourselves any favors by taking that approach but you know back to daniel when he said, when he was like, "Well, I don't want to share table fellowship and just blindly give allegiance to this foreign way of viewing the world and this foreign way of understanding which gods are more important than others and so on," I'm going to draw a line in the sand here. He doesn't go up to the to the prison master and say, "Look, it says here in Exodus whatever verse whatever that these are my dietary laws that I've got to follow," because that. Guy doesn't care two hoops about Exodus, you know. That's this, this conquered foreigner's scriptures. But what he does is he says, well, let's do an experiment. Let's do it this way for a little bit and we'll test it on the basis of something that we can agree on as being a good argument for or against it. And let's have a look and let's see. You see... Uh, so rather than sort of taking umbrage and planting his feet on scripture, he takes umbrage and plants his feet on a basis that the other guy can understand, on the basis of, of the shared rationality that we all have as creatures made in God's image. And he does a bit of science in this case. He says, let's run the food experiment, let's see which health outcomes, you know, let's have a control group, everyone else who's doing the wine, and let's have our group, and let's compare the two groups. And they don't exactly publish a peer-reviewed journal article about it, but you get the, get the drift. Um, yeah. So there, there's a, uh, he, he exhibits a sort of wise way of going about retaining his, his specific spirituality in this context that is pulling against it. Um, and I think there's a lot of wisdom to be learned from that in our context as we engage with the academic culture of, of the university uh, to to think about and to question where necessary the, the underlying assumptions of the, the various disciplines that we're in. And, and unfortunately, this is the bad news, that means, I think, that, that Christians have to think and work harder at their subjects 
and long questions because we are more concerned than other people not to simply say, okay, I will just take on board lock, stock and barrel what I'm presented with as the way of doing this. Um, Because maybe the way of doing things is being presented to me from a position that is making certain assumptions about the world that I don't agree with. Because I have a different worldview, I have a different Lord. Um, and yet there are, there are wise and unwise ways of going about making that point. As I say, that uh, some ways would do us no favours and other ways are much more... Um, there are academically legitimate ways of, of, of doing it, um, I think. Uh, yeah, so we need to, to, to pull apart and examine our subject from the foundations up and rethink that through from, from an explicitly Christian viewpoint. Um, but there are benefits, there are deep benefits to doing things that way because, boy, will you really understand your subject when you do that. And at the end of their three years in Babylonian University, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel come out with the first and they end up being employed by the king and having high ranks and things and influencing the nation that they're in, um, in terms of what God wants. Um, yeah. So that's uh, enough um, presentation uh, from me, I think. I think we've got a handle on some, some good discussion points and I will now uh, descend from this hard chair onto the floor for a while. I think my, my bones can take it for a bit. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear any reflections from you on whether anything that I've said connects with your experience, says or, or not, or any questions that you have about what I've said. I find what you were saying quite interesting because um, I've just started this module. It's the first time that it's sort of like like in psychology like mm. was like sort of dissonance in, in what beliefs sort of thing because um, this module is on like personality and like learning mm. and it's all about how I like your personalities because of neurons and chemicals and that's what you're just meant to believe and mm. the way you act is because of that and then like learning like is all just about that as well and I just mm. have to and like obviously the course until like requires that you read so much extra around it but then there's no really room to disagree with it because it, mm. that's just what the module is and like so you have to accept that and learn about it and learn about it and mm. sort of things so mm. there's not any room for me to disagree so I'm just sort of like as I see that module I'm just sort of like like learning it for the sake of mm. hopefully getting a good mark rather than being like oh yeah I'm learning this and taking it on board sort of thing and that's mm. sort of the way that I'm mm. working with it rather than being like no to all like my exams like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. yes yeah that's right because as I say there are wise ways and, and, and unwise ways of yeah. sort of taking a, a stand and choosing your battles and so on but even even to sort of say you know to give that that understanding a name and say under this model yeah, 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 you exactly. know, or like this psychologist yeah. Yeah. you know you're yeah. being presented with so and so's view yeah. from a certain viewpoint and yeah. you, it's fine to be able to express and understand, okay, I can understand that from his assumptions that he's making, it follows that 
or, or to say it doesn't follow that from those assumptions, to say from this viewpoint this is the view that would be given, yes. but then you're not saying, well, this is how people work. Yeah. You're saying, on this understanding of people, yeah. this would be how they work, kind of in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. And that itself just draws that line in the sand in quite a, a subtle but imp- important way, as, yeah. as you say. You're not yourself having to take on board that view in order to say, like, yeah, I understand it and mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can n- know the arguments in the field and so on. Yeah. Um, now, as you go through university or if you carry on to postgraduate more, you, 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 things open up more into... Um, being able to agree or disagree with things. And it's probably different from some subjects to other subjects. I mean, from philosophy, they sort of drop you in on day one on, so-and-so says this, do you agree? Why? And and it's like day one is, well, disagree with this and give me a reason. (laughs) I I think a a lot of subjects, particularly if you're, you're, you're learning a sort of body of practice related knowledge to apply to things, um, there's probably less room for that kind of disagreement about things. As I say, a lot of subjects don't, will not even bother to sort of have a course on the the philosophy of science. Now, how many science courses introduce anyone to a course in philosophy of science? Very few. <laughs> um, although some, some places do, and so on. Um, yeah. very practical what you've said like it's because you know like even from an evangelism point of view mm. like and relating to people we need to be able to meet them where they're at and we can't just you know go around bible bashing them which is yeah. I mean after 2,000 years we thought we it would figured out it doesn't work right now yeah. we still haven't <laughs> and it's yeah. just like I end up having discussions upon discussions about science mm. at work with people like at the moment I'm reading a book and it's about how quantum physics edifies the spiritual mm-hmm. realm mm-hmm. and even though it's, it was just a book for my own sort mm. of thing but everyone's in my workplace has sort of got involved in it because they're like what? Mm. <laughs> how does that work? And it's, but it's really important I think mm. for that Yes. I mean, the, the whole science-religion dialogue thing continues to be a, a hot potato. Um, I like it. You know, <laughs> that makes it interesting, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, people are generally, you know, you get, a, you get a certain view from the BBC or from reading books by Christopher Hitchens, of course, that sort of yeah. bestsellers and Waterstones, and that becomes kind of like the view. Um, and you also... You know, the media loves to, loves to paint, you know, a particular view of, 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 of the Christian reaction to that. Yeah. And sort of the, the Christian stereotype and, and draw a veil over the fact that there are, you know, there's lots of legitimate disagreement amongst Christians about how you approach that. that. Yeah. Um, and actually there are a number of different non-Christian approaches to to that and it's a very complicated dialogue, therefore. It's incredible. To, so many people have different views about, mm. like, you find that if you dig deep enough, everyone, a lot of people think that is actually a life after death, but mm. they have like a completely different perception. Yeah. And some of it's quite new agey in the fact that mm. it's a oneness and 
that there is some sort of realm, but mm. there's not a personal king at the top of it. Mm. And, you know, it's just like everyone is energy and everyone is joined in some way. Yeah. But the problem with that is you've got the whole universe and the Big Bang Theory just completely displays there is a personal creator mm. at hand mm. in some way because everything is finitely placed rather than it, mm. an explosion definition is quite randomly placed. Yes. And it's just not that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, um, there's an agnostic physicist called Paul Davis um, uh, who's, who says that the, the Big Bang is, provides quite a conundrum because if you, if you get a pile of bricks and you put a stick of dynamite in the middle of it and go bang, yeah. you get a lot of mess. Exactly. And he says, this isn't a lot of mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and he, he's, he's kind of like, that's odd. <laughs> and, you know, he's an agnostic, but <laughs> he says, you know, it, it, does, it does look like does look like it was a sort of set-up job. Yeah. And um, he, he struggles manfully to, um, to try and explain that set-up job without mentioning anyone who might have set it up yeah. beforehand. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to um, talk just as I say I did a little bit of focused on the on the sort of academic worldview level um, but I think um, this thing about spirituality uh, also including your, your heart and your, your actions and the, the integration of that helps you to to understand um, more um, deliberately the Christian journey um, and also to understand where other people are coming from and to see that there are you know there are going to be pressures um, positive and negative at, at all of those levels of our of ourselves mm. um, but that they're related to, to one another you know you understand well, why do people behave in different ways well, it's because they've got, you know, certain attitudes towards things, certain commitments towards things, and certain beliefs about things. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not almost always, again, the most fruitful sort of level of engagement with people. You know, Christians are well known for sort of, oh, don't do that, that's bad. Mm. You know, don't, don't do this. Sort of Criticising people's behaviour. Um, well, of course, there are underlying reasons why people behave that way because they they have a completely different view of the nature of the world and what people are and what life's about and different feelings and attitudes about life because of that and that leads them to behaving in a different way. Of course, well, of course it would. You know, if I felt about the world like they did and thought about the world like they did, I'd probably act that way as well. You know, um, so and. Um, Again, in terms of understanding our, our, ourselves, what what Paul says in Romans, there it's not sort of be be transformed into better people by trying harder to do the right thing. Because if you just try harder to you know do the right thing, you'll fail and then get discouraged. Basically, um, there might be deeper roots. 
behind our behaviour in terms of actually have I got the right attitude towards this? Am I, am, what are my my commitments, my 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 values? What are what am I thinking about things wrong? Have I misunderstood uh, something? Where, where where is my motivation coming from? Uh, can I ask a question though? With that yeah. being transformed, mm. like, do you, how do you think that sort of like fits into having almost like an encounter with God? Because mm. I mean, for me, that would be the most important thing. Then, like you say, like we don't want just head knowledge at the end of the day. Right. And to be yeah. Like a true encounter is knowledge beyond knowledge. Right? <laughs> yeah. So again, a sort of encounter with God in its various forms again doesn't restrict to it's not just about head knowledge but it does include head knowledge it's not just about your your heart but it is about your heart it's not just about your emotions it is about your emotions Uh, I mean it starts off at the beginning in light of what Christ has done for us and that is a matter of knowing what Christ has done for us and why I've got good reasons to believe that he has done that and I can trust the witness of the Gospels to what he did and so on but it's also a matter of, as you say actually, spiritual encounter yeah. of of perceiving something of God and his his beauty and his love for you, we, we love him because he first loved us uh, of responding out of gratitude rather than out of um, you know other less helpful desires or whatever um, uh, so that encounter which includes knowledge includes our heart response um, the proper encounter gives you a good foundational starting place for the response um, but that response again includes the whole the whole self. We're we're complicated beings of this integration of you know what we think and what we feel and how we choose and and so on, um, which work themselves out as we um, you know the Bible talks about putting on the character of Christ, doesn't it? Um, but often I mean, you get church church teaching and it's often you know, easy to fall into the, the sort of what it's all about the behaviour and you focus on that that's true. In, in a sort of unfruitful way yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually you, you, this, this level kind of changes as we get this right in relationship to God as we're not acting out of, out of a sense of guilt and a desire to oh, I'll do better next time so I don't feel guilty um you know, yeah. um, you get you know, performance anxiety will then <laughs> under, undermine the whole process. But that's what uh, we need the teaching of the cross, isn't it? Yeah, than that's right. It starts with, with grace. Yeah. Um, how would you best, like, um, you talked about having assumptions, how would you best mm. kind of challenge them? Yeah, well, <coughs> what, number one is to point out that and to people that they have assumptions. And, and that there are there are differing assumptions about about things, and that those matter. Um, so, particularly with the new atheist writers, you will get this idea that you know philosophy is dead, as Stephen Hawking says. Science is the only way to know anything, 
and science means believing because there's evidence. And on the other hand, complete false dichotomy, there is faith, which means believing things without having any evidence. Just kind of going, okay, I'm going to believe. Just like that. And, and that's it. So, and that's the sort of view of, of Christian belief that they they put out on the one hand, and the view of the, you know the proper secular way to go about things on the other. Sensible way to go about things is to you know believe things because of evidence, and that's science, and you don't need to think about philosophy in order to do that. But of course you do. Um, you you can't do science without a whole host of philosophical beliefs about reality that you can't get to or prove through doing science. Um, So to do science, you have to know about the basic laws of logic. But you don't know about logic by doing science. Because you couldn't do science without logic. Um, To get on in in doing science as as a social practice, you have to know about moral values. Um, but science don't, can't tell you anything about moral values. Um, it can tell you about how people behave on average. Um, it might give you an evolutionary just-so story as to why our ancestors came to feel certain ways about certain ways of behaving. So, that's, that's completely not addressing the question of when we feel a certain bad way about incest or child murder or whatever you know does that feeling reflect the way things should be or not well just to say well you know in our evolutionary past our ancestors who felt that way got an evolutionary advantage over those who didn't because they tended to survive more so it worked in terms of producing more people that's not addressing the question at all (laughs) it's like yeah but should we feel that way? Are we right <laughs> to think that that's wrong? Or are you just are you actually chucking out of the window the entire categories of right and wrong and saying, well, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's only what happened to be useful for achieving a certain end in the past. Those are different, different questions. Um, and it makes a huge difference to your worldview as to whether you think there is such a thing as right and wrong. Or, or it's all just a matter of opinion and and social taboos and so on Um, and you can't you can't sort that out by doing science Uh, that's a a deeper kind of worldview religious spiritual kind of question thing Um, so just point out to people that there are these differences of opinion and you can't solve them by using the methods that that secular society would want us to use so so what are we going to do? Well, we're going to have, we're going to, have to you know, actually argue about them, think about them. Um, yeah.